Dear me, 13 years ago, you were innocent enough to underestimate the consequences, but curious enough to know. Just staring at that computer screen, not knowing you were opening up the front door to your new home, a humble abode, equipped with a window, a view into a distant future of addiction, soon to make itself your own. You were 11 years old. It started with just a glance. Years later, these pixels caught you in a trance, just one of the 90% of teenage boys who never stood a chance. Pornography, a man-made invention intended for recreation, turned into the world's quietest addiction. The industry makes more combined revenue than the MLB, NFL, and NBA annually. Porn sites compose 12% of the internet that 28,000 people are watching every second. But for you, it started out controllable. You were introduced to it by your best friend's older brother who convinced you it was only natural. And so naturally, you followed your curiosity down this yellow brick road of secrecy, secretly seeking the affection of girls who you would never even meet. And slowly over time, you built a tolerance. You bought into this bliss without your common sense and ever since have been convinced that this is your only true happiness. And it's sad how sex slavery is unacceptable until it's put on the internet. And accessing this drug, it's still too easy. My dealer is a computer screen who lives in the same house as me. This digital chemical dopamine is free. And the supply, never-ending. Imagine the gluttony. Having whatever image you want to see or any video whenever you want to watch it. And oh, did I mention, your addiction's now portable. It fits in your pocket. So you quickly learned how to burn down these firewalls only to get burnt, and then these images branded themselves to the insides of your eyelids. So even when you close your eyes to sleep at night, you can't escape them. But wait, it gets worse. They've installed these images into your brain. Now they won't leave you alone. Constant click, click, clicks like a metronome. Pornography embedded into your mind like a squeaking saxophone. Lust plays like tambourines and cymbals that change up the tempo. Your own flesh plays like notes that build to a sinful crescendo. Ultimately separating you from the maestro. But that's the plan, right? Get kids who can't defend themselves hooked early so they become a consumer for the rest of their life. See, I started to realize I couldn't stop, that I didn't even want to, that I sat in school impatiently waiting to get home to do what I had been craving to do. When you feed your addiction, your addiction feeds on you. And the things you play with in high school as an adult will play with you. See, it's kind of like Back to the Future, except there's no Doc Brown, there's no DeLorean, DMC. No, Marty McFly wouldn't believe his eyes if he had seen the things these eyes had seen. See, I've invented the time machine. Except there's no future to go to like in the movies. You just go back and repeat the same scene you have already seen. This habitual habit has inhabited me, and I'm sick of trying to clean myself up by deleting my website history. See, I never called myself an addict because I thought I could control it. Until I was up at four in the morning, losing sleep, getting closer to that computer screen but further away from sobriety, looking at myself in the mirror and not recognizing me, wallet in my back pocket, but no identity. See, I got it bad. And if I ushered all these confessions, there'd be more than a part two. I'm stuck to this addiction like glue. My views on sex totally skewed. But isn't it true? Our culture raped the beauty of sex, and yet we ended up being abused. This is the silent addiction of today's youth.
whether it's in a screen, in a bottle, whether it's something in the, in the touch, or the presence of another person, or something that's hidden away in the deepest, darkest recesses of our minds, our imaginations, hidden away in our hearts, we all know temptation. It's the one thing that we all hold in common. It's the one part of our humanity that none of us can escape from, that all of us have experienced. And we also all know that for the most part, when we've experienced temptation, when we're caught in it, no matter what it looks like, it never ends well. Too often we find ourselves being overcome by our desires, overcome by the lure of temptation, drawn in, pulled down. The proverbial slippery slope takes us far away and we find ourselves imprisoned, we find ourselves stuck, we find ourselves isolated, locked in struggle, maybe even addiction. So much like John's testimony that he's sharing with us tonight, brave enough to share a reality that too many of us know, no matter what that issue is in our lives, we we know the battle, we know the experience And so many of us know that when we face off with temptation, we end up pulled down, we end up dragged down, we end up marked with guilt, mired in shame. But then there are moments when temptation comes and we resist. And in that small victory, there is another temptation waiting just around the bend that is even more insidious. The temptation not to indulge the flesh, but the temptation to indulge our pride, to emerge from that small victory and to find ourselves caught up in a smug, self-righteous, sinful, deadly pride. What good is it to escape lust or gluttony or pride or any of the other lust or power, any of those other things, only to, be find, only to find ourselves completely mired in the spiritual sin of arrogance, of pride. See, it seems that no matter how we handle it, whether we resist or whether we give in, there's a no-win battle that we all experience with temptation. And in spite of what 1 Corinthians 10 says, there's no escape. We never win. It always overtakes us. But that wasn't the case with Jesus. And I think that's the only person in all of history, I know that's the only person in all of history about whom we can say that, that that it wasn't his story. That's not how temptation worked in his life. And in fact, his whole ministry began with a time of testing, a, a period of temptation. So tonight we're going to look at that in um, Luke chapter 4. 
And in Luke chapter 4, it's right at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. You can hear it. It's only chapter 4 of Luke. And, and what we know of Jesus is so little by Luke chapter 4. We know that he was born. We know about the shepherds and the angels. We know that his parents took him to the temple at eight days old to dedicate him. We know that, we just know a brief encounter that at 12 years old, he went on another journey to the temple with his parents. And, uh, and, and we saw him as, as this young, almost man interacting with his parents, and and then we see nothing else until the moment he shows up at the Jordan River where his cousin John, his relative John, is baptizing people in the Jordan River, and Jesus steps into the Jordan River, and all eyes are on him, and John says, you should be baptizing me, not the other way around, and Jesus says, I must do this to fulfill all righteousness, and he's baptized by John in the river, and the Holy Spirit descends, and in the next moment, Jesus goes into the wilderness to mark his ministry, the very beginning of it, with a period of temptation. Luke 4, again, describes it. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, where for 40 days, 40 days, the same number of days that we observe in Lent, 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days. And at the end of them, he was hungry. I'll say, I can't go eight hours without eating, without um, feeling hungry, 40 days. And so the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Some of us know this kind of temptation too well, right? The temptation to food, I mean, for some of us, that, it's a struggle, food. But for others of us, it's, it's not food exactly, it's the temptation of self-indulgence, appetites, cravings of our flesh. We know how they call us, how they demand to be fed. And for Jesus, after 40 days of not eating, he, he had to be hungry. And, and this, at this point, is not just a temptation for more or to gluttony. This is, this is a call to do what is necessary for survival. And yet, Jesus answered, it is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. So he comes at it again. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Man, for some of us, this is our Achilles heel, isn't it? The uh, invitation to power, to being in control, to having authority over things in our life, over people in our lives, status. Gosh, the lure of status can be so strong, can't it? calling us to, to prove ourselves worthy, to show ourselves worthy, to, to show that we're good enough, to show that we're better than others, and all the money and time and effort we spend trying to feed the call to status. For some of us, again, this is, this is, our, this is our Achilles heel. This is our poison. And for Jesus, 
He came to be a king. He, he came to receive all authority and power and honor. And yet, he responds, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And so one more time, the devil comes at him. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. How we test God so often. How we... um, put on him expectations for how we want him to behave. It's true, isn't it? In moments when life isn't going the way we want, how often do we cry out to God and and we say, if you loved me, if you really cared, you would. You would have or you would now. So often we find ourselves testing God, asking him to prove to us that he loves us, prove to us that he's good, prove to us that we are who he says we are. But it's not just God. I don't know about you and my relationships. I find myself doing this with the people I love, the people I know who love me. I find myself setting traps. I find myself putting before them tests, tests to prove that they really love me, that they really care, even when deep down I know, and it's a game I play And yet sometimes I can't resist. In this moment for Jesus, being out in the wilderness, being being left alone, craving interaction, even from his father at the beginning of his ministry, this must have had a a great allure for him to, to allow his father to prove, to establish that he was special and that his father loved him. And, and yet Jesus answers, it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. He, he left him alone for now. And, and if we fast forward, we know when the for now was, or when the later was rather, uh, we know that it came when he entered into one of Jesus' disciples, Judas Iscariot, the one who had betrayed Jesus when the devil came into him and, and prompted him to betray Jesus, setting into motion all of the circumstances that would lead Jesus to suffer and to die on a cross. But for now, the devil left him alone. For now, the temptation was over. And for now, Jesus walked away from 40 days of deprivation and scarcity, 40 days of being tempted. He walked away unscathed. Neither giving in to his flesh, not indulging it, not finding himself in addiction, not finding himself in struggle, not finding himself caught in guilt and shame, and not walking away on the other side, feeling puffed up, arrogant, self-righteous, and proud. Jesus is the only man in history to experience temptation and to walk away, not falling on either side of it, but walking away completely unscathed. Tonight, I I look at Jesus and I wonder how, because this has not been my story. I've, I've not fared so well when temptation has a hold on me. How does he do that? How does he walk away? And yet tonight, 
even though that might be our natural curiosity, and even though we can learn a lot about, about how, we, we can look at Jesus and how he handled this, and we can see how he refers back to the word of God. We, we can see how he is so clear in his mind who his father is, what his character is, that he will not doubt the character of the father, even when his circumstances say otherwise. There are some things we can learn about how tonight I want to challenge you not to get stuck up stuck on the question, to get caught up on the question of how. But instead, I want you to ask the question, a more important question, of what this moment out of Jesus' life means for you. See, through this, we, we learn something important when we're caught in temptation. That the way out for us it's certainly not to give in. It's not to indulge. We, we know that only ends in struggle and being imprisoned. That, that locks us in addiction and the guilt and shame that come along with it. But we also know that, that just trying to beat every temptation, every struggle that comes against us in our own flesh, in our own power, it doesn't work either. See, tonight we learn from Jesus that the only way to escape temptations that come and, and, and temptation is the thing that knits us all together. It, it is what is common to all of us. The only thing that, uh, the, only, the only way I should say that we can escape is to invite Jesus in. And that may sound obvious, but it's what we never want to do. It's what we hardly ever do. We, even those of us who are Christians, we only think to invite Jesus in when we're dressed in our, our Sunday clothes, when we're at our best, when our language is clean, when our hearts are pure, when our minds are mostly centered, when we're interacting well with the people around us, when, when we're presenting ourselves at our best. That's when we want to invite Jesus in, if at all. And yet what we learn from Jesus tonight is that our only chance to stand against temptation is to invite Jesus in, not just to our Sunday best, but to invite Jesus in to our darkest moments, our most shame-filled moments, the most poisoned and twisted parts of our imaginations, the most smug and self-righteous parts of our spirits. The only way to win in our battle against temptation is to invite Jesus in because only Jesus has walked through temptation and emerged unscathed. He's the only one who's ever done it. And not only that, but only Jesus makes the promise that he loves you enough that he can look at all of those things, the darkest things that you want to hide, the things that you don't want to acknowledge, the battles that feel too strong for you to face, yet let alone admit to. Jesus promises that, that he alone can see those things and that his love for you will never change. See, only Jesus, even more, only Jesus, not only will he, does he have the power to, to endure temptation, not only does he love you and his love for you will never change, but only Jesus has the ability to breathe into you when you are mired in shame and guilt, when you are nothing but death and ash. Only Jesus has the power to breathe new life into you.
and to make you new. You see, you can't do it. You're not expected to do it. Not in your own strength. But but here's what you need to understand. That your deepest, darkest, most long-running struggles, the the things that you wish, and especially the thing, because we all have one, the thing, you wish you could just, uh, you wish it would go away, you wish you could get rid of it, the thing that you don't want anyone else to know, the thing that trips you up, and again and again, when you invite Jesus there, when you invite him to dwell there, when you invite him to look at it, to come near, to join you in that place... That's the beginning of your freedom. And that's the moment, that's the moment when Jesus takes the thing that you wish you could erase from your story and Jesus begins to redeem it. He begins to form you through it. And he begins to use it as the most powerful part of your story. See, whenever we find ourselves locked in a battle with temptation, Here's what you need to know. There's no shame in that. It's common to all of us, but more important, realize that temptation was the starting place of Jesus' whole ministry. He started there, so your temptation can be a start of your pilgrimage on to something better. So don't get down on yourself. Don't lose hope when you're locked in struggle, when you fall to addiction. Don't, Don't give up on yourself when you find yourself living in sinful selfish pride. Instead, invite Jesus in because he knows the place we're starting from and he is more than happy. He, he is glad to, in, to, to join us there and in his sinlessness, in his perfection because he's the only one who walked through temptation well, He can not only rescue us and love us unconditionally, but he can begin to show us how to walk out of the places we find ourselves into a journey of restoration. See, wherever you find yourself tonight, tonight can be the beginning of something brand new. When you invite Jesus in, tonight can be the beginning of your pilgrimage to something better. And so I write to you with desperation in my voice. Addiction may have taken you captive, but freedom is a choice. But I'll be honest, I don't have a 12-step program informative pamphlet or strategic plan. I have no vaccine or visine to help you see past your past, but let me pass you what I do have. I have a Savior. His compassion is new every day. His faithfulness stays. He made a way out of no way and turned my darkness into day. This sacrifice made, our ransom paid, He took our place with blood pouring down his face as he replaced our disgrace with his grace and buried for three days, but death could not contain. No, he left death in his grave. Death died that day. And so the sin you claim, the games you play, the feelings of shame are already forgiven in Jesus' name. And even though my sin were the whips that tore the skin from his bones, on a cross he would die to deliver me home.
He saved my life, and so I owe him everything, and he loves me with no conditioning. So I no longer have to try and get in shape or lose this weight before surrendering. Love came down and ransomed me. So forget Romeo and Juliet, the Princess Bride, or the Notebook. This is the best love story that I have ever heard. But I got to be real. Every day is a battle, and sometimes I lose. But this I know to be true. The victory in addiction is not a retreat, it's a pursuit. And so I conclude, and I promise I'm almost done. But God is the only thing that will set you free from being numb. Not in your own strength, but in, your, in his name you can overcome. You have victory over this addiction. Signed, Sincerely Freedom.